Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. As always, I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard, the president of Gospel App Ministries, gospel-app.com. All right. So provocative title, is the golden rule still golden? What I I almost said, stop doing the golden rule. And, and what I mean, stop doing it, thinking in any way that you're going to pull it off. Or if you just tried harder enough, whatever enough means, or if you were just a better Christian, or if you hadn't made those mistakes. And, and secondly, stop trying to do it on your own power. Just stop it. It's causing you grief and shame. How's it gone for you anyway? I think that's what Jesus is saying. There's so much, there's a much better way. And that's what we're doing at Gospel Rant. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving feedback. Bill at gospel-app.com. Love to hear from you. Pass this on, please. We're trying to make a dent in modern evangelicalism and raise the bar for a dialogue. This is such a critical message by Jesus and I, th- I think, as I've been saying throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, we've been we've buried the lead. Uh, and remember, Sermon on the Mount is the cornerstone for the entire Gospel of Matthew. It's important we get it right. But unfortunately, look, by the time you get to these end sections in the Sermon on the Mount, if we haven't taken the right path, if we veered off the main path, uh, well, Jesus calls it the narrow path, but nevertheless, if we veered off of that, the message of the messages are going to come across as uh, um, insensitive and maybe tin-eared, abusive, perhaps, no matter how much we try to dress it up. And I think you're going to see what we mean in these next two or three messages. All right, here's Matthew 7, 12 to 14. Very familiar. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. All right. Very familiar passage, right? Would you be surprised if I told you that you're not going to do the golden rule? You didn't do it yesterday. You didn't do it the day before. You're not going to do it today or tomorrow. Now, you should. Oh my gosh, it's a beautiful statement, but you're not. And so many Christians think and have been told and feel guilty that, you know, fundamentally, if we only did it enough, again, whatever enough means, if we only did enough, all would be well. And God would smile. We'd get along with people. The world would be a better place. We'd, we'd sing Kumbaya and the Coca-Cola song. I want to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony, right? And, and we would just know, we would really know that we're no longer disappointments to God. <sighs> and look, how many books are out there? How many trees have died for books, for imprints, lectures and sermons on how we can do the golden rule better? Now, we should, don't get me wrong, I'm checking that box, put me in that camp. But here's the thing that I'm saying that may be unique is we won't. There's only one human who has ever done the golden rule, Jesus. And that's Jesus's point. The narrow gate, remember from the last podcast, is not working harder to do the golden rule. The narrow gate is all about a change of heart, a change of mind, where we're stopping depending upon our own efforts 
to go and do the golden rule. Intrigued? All right, we're going to get a word from our sponsor, and we'll get right back to it. We'll see you in a moment. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right, welcome back. All right, let me review. Here's our Sermon on the Mount formula. You might be getting tired of it, but look, I have found that it's a drip, drip, drip. We're changing the way we think about things here. So usually it's said that Jesus is giving us new principles that we should live our life by. And if we did enough, we would experience the love and favor of God more. Our lives would be more purposeful, dynamic, our relationships more intimate. We would hear or feel God's voice say to you and me, you're my beloved son or daughter with whom I'm well pleased. And we Christians are subconsciously or consciously jonesing for that and looking for such approval in all the wrong places, uh, right? How's that going for you? Or, By the way, or we just give up. We just kind of write it off going, look, you know, I've, I've screwed up again and again and again and again and again. Golden rule might be good enough for Billy Graham, but not for me, Right. And Jesus ramped it up. Here's the partial list. I mean, just listen. All right, don't lust. There we go. Don't get angry. Love people who have hurt you dearly. Don't be anxious. You know what? Store up your wealth, not in banks, but in heaven. Again, go back to listen to podcasts, whatever that could possibly mean. And be all about God's glory. Right, That's your number one objective. There is not a number two. That's your number one, that you say that in the Lord's Prayer, even if it, and it will, cause you suffering and persecution. Jesus said so at the very beginning. And mean that, really, all the time. So when you pray, make sure that your headspace is that you just want God's will to be done, even if it trashes you and the people you love. So trust God, whatever muscle group that is. Get rid of your anxiety and insecurities, right? Get get rid of them. Uh, How? Let me know. Forgive all of those hurtful wounds, all of those acts of injustices, the disrespects, the betrayals, the abuse, the racism, and and do it enough, whatever that is. Okay? Well, that's the new list. That's the new normal, says Jesus. How's it going? If your grade was a C-minus listening to Torah, you know, you haven't killed anybody. Maybe you have, if you have, welcome. But if you haven't, all right, maybe a C minus. But now when Jesus says, don't get angry, well, how's your grade? D, F, 
And no one's questioning that Jesus did all these things, and no one's questioning that we should do these things, but it's, it's partly brain science, partly not our fault, but you know, here's the truth of the matter is we haven't. We won't. We don't. And in a sense, we can't, right? So I keep asking, how's all that going for you? So many very honest, well-meaning Christians shared with me before I got started on this podcast project on the Sermon on the Mount over a year ago. Uh, and, and by the way, did this Beatitudes workbook that's becoming popular, Jesus Said What? You can get it on site and uh, on Amazon. We uh, published a popular companion video series for Right Now Media uh, that I think is taking off. And look, the people have told me that they were so tired of hearing series on the Sermon on the Mount because it made them feel more like failures in their faith and faithfulness. Right? And I get it. And here's the point. Yes, you're listening. <laughs> That's Jesus's Jewish rhetoric strategy. We just we uh, expo ex expositors have just buried the lead. Jesus is saying that the law prescribes this level. I'm only partially pulling that off on my very best day. And then Jesus ramps it up. But I say to you, and there's no, absolutely no way I'm going to pull it off. My grade goes from a C, a D maybe, <laughs> to an F. Thanks a lot, Jesus. And God's a perfectionist. Um. So is he trying to shame me into discouragement and depression? Well, no. So look, there's shame and then there is shame. There's two kinds of shame. There's our typical shame that we do to each other and, we, and I do to myself is destructive. It leads to death. But biblically, there is a redemptive shame in the hand of God. That's critical in the hand of God that leads me to begin to feel the need for a rescuer. I come to see I'm drowning. I come to see, I can't do this. It's the, the alcoholic oh, uh, prayer, you know. I, I need a higher power. I need a savior. I need a rescuer. Uh, this redemptive shame makes me see my desperate need that working harder, I should want to work hard to love other people and love God, but for some reason, my working harder gets all twisted up and becomes more self-focused. So this redemptive shame makes me see God as my savior, not a persecutor. And the Sermon on the Mount, all in all, is a redemptive shaming tool. Excellent one. If we begin to hear it that way, if we have ears to hear and eyes to see. So are you beginning to see your need of a rescue? And here's how that practically plays out. So uh, if you're an addict, oh, by the way, we're all at, addicted to something, but let's say you're an addict to painkillers or porn or drugs or alcohol or cigarette smoking, all of those things. So Jesus says, you know this, just stop it. You shouldn't do it. And your reaction might be in, in a moment of, of awareness, Jesus, yeah, he's right. So, okay, I'm going to choose to stop my midbrains jonesing for that dopamine hit from my drug of choice. I got it. Even though Modern science says you can't do it. Modern neuroscience says your prefrontal cortex, where you can make reasonable choices, strategic choices, right versus wrong choices, it is so weak. It's a wimp compared to your midbrain and the very powerful dopamine cycle in your midbrain. And your midbrain has all of the good chemicals. 
that's where addiction comes from, not your prefrontal cortex. It's your midbrain going, go and get that for me. So you can try and you should uh, again and again. Good on you. But you, look, at, at a point, you got to see you need a greater power that, that's not within your muscle group. It's brain science. It's also the gospel. So do you lust? Same thing. Do you get angry? Same thing. Do you struggle to forgive? Well, of course you do. You're human. You've been hurt. Are you worried about today, your life, your future, your family? Same thing. I mean, do you really mean to pray, God, I'm good with whatever you want to do with me, even though it hurts? So go ahead. If if it furthers your kingdom, take my health, my money. <laughs> Give it away. Give it to my enemies, by the way, if, if that moves the kingdom forward. Yeah, maybe. Well, what else can Jesus say other than the Sermon on the Mount, other than the Torah, by the way, if you read it closely, what else can Jesus say that would bring you to that natural human wall that even you look at it and go, I can't beat this one. And you and you say, I can't do that. Look, this is part of Jesus's genius in this message. He didn't come to help those people on that hillside and us today become to become more faithful disciples through education, through a better list, uh, how to live principles to convince us we really should be doing this. This isn't a TED's talk about righteousness and the level of righteousness, the enough righteousness we need to uh, before God will pay any attention to us or like us or much less bless us. It's to make us see that we desperately need a rescuer a savior today, tomorrow, the next day. We can't love others. Listen, I'll say more about it in the next podcast. We can't love others without God's sourced love. Today, tomorrow, the next day. It's You can't just bank the stuff. It's a, it's a running stream. I mean, does that make sense? So stop trying to love your enemy on your own with your love. It's, it's all twisted up anyway. Stop trying to love your friends and family on your own. How's that gone for you? I mean, you can't really do it not with the love that Jesus was speaking about. It's, well, meaning, but it's celestial arrogance, ultimately. And Christian, I'm not speaking about salvation, your salvation. I'm speaking about your success as a spirit-filled son or daughter, disciple of Jesus. Heaven's already yours, strictly due to the work of Jesus on your behalf, but Are you interested in learning more about how you can experience right now, a little or a lot, the love and favor of God more? So if you've been tracking this podcast, you've heard me say that biblical Christian discipleship is not primarily about becoming more like Jesus. Secondarily, but not primarily. Primarily, it's becoming more dependent upon him and his spirit. And as that occurs, you will be surprised that you're going to become a little more like Jesus, not the other way around. So the right response to Jesus's teaching on that hillside in Galilee is, what? I I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Well, then who is worthy of following Jesus? Who would merit the smile of God? You know, who can be saved? And the answer is failures of course. It's failures who need a rescuer, abysmal failures who've been brought, you know, to the end of their rope. And they're the ones who might just be able to humanly realize that they need a help. They need a savior. And they're willing to do it. The pride 
is cracked. And this is good news. And remember who it is that Jesus is speaking to. They were recognized failures related to God. There was no way that anyone thought that God would love them or show favor to them. Not them. And yet, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by saying that they get the promises that God made to Abraham. Not if they did this or that. He gives them it. It to, he gives it to them as a gift. That's what grace is. By the way, just like God did to Abraham, I mean, there's nothing in the Genesis 12 text that explains what Ab- Abram did to deserve covenant blessings. We just sort of fill in that gap. But it's not there. It's absent. God, I'm going to suggest, picks an unrighteous, unfaithful, unbelieving person among unrighteous people, just like us, and he adopts him as a card-carrying son, subject to all blessings and glory. And Jesus does the same thing to the poor in spirit on the hillside. Did they need to get their act together before they got the gift? Nope. Did they need to submit enough? Nope. Did they need to be more righteous? Nope. Circumcised? Uh, Go and have John's baptism of repentance? Go to the temple in Jerusalem and make an offering? No, none of that. He comes to a people who corporately represented the most needy of needy and hands them a gift, God's incongruous love for righteousness failures. God's incongruous love for righteousness failures. But I think Jesus is taking them to show and tell and going, see, they're the ones who are most likely to get the joke, not the scribes and Pharisees. So I suspect that by this point in the Sermon on the Mount, they're laughing out loud. Jesus is ramping up standards of righteousness, and and they, they couldn't reach it before. And they're experiencing the blessing of God for unrighteous people. They are getting it. And so have you, so have I, if you've been uh, saved, if you've experienced that. But they haven't kept up righteousness. They can't. They might just be willing to admit it and come to Jesus with empty, soiled hands. I think many of them did. Um, And remember the quote from Barclay, Paul, we shall see, had an unusual, creative, and socially radical understanding of the grace of God arising from the gift, Christ. Whereas good gifts were and still are normally thought to be distributed best to fitting or worthy recipients, Paul took the Christ gift, the ultimate gift of God to the world, to be given without regard to worth— And in the absence of worth, an unconditioned or incongruous gift that did not match the worth of its recipients, but created it. So in this section, Jesus once again pushes the bar so high uh, to the the people who have already failed, the lower bar. So he's pushing it so high, we earthbound folks can't even see where, where it is. When we squint our eyes, we can't see the bar. So what do we do? Well, it seems crazy once you look at it, or maybe very human. We kind of squint and go, the bar's up there, so we're just going to build a bigger ladder, a better ladder to get up to it. We're going to divine new ways where we can pick up the ox collar, put it on our already burdened shoulders, gird our loins, whatever you want to call it, and decide, you know what, we can do it this time with these principles, with this approach. We're going to lean into it. Ah. <sighs> You know what? How many times have you done that? We're going to fail again. And we should reach that bar. We won't. In the end, we're either going to feel more like failures to God. We're going to feel like disappointing sons and daughters. Um, And maybe, maybe then 
like a broken addict at the end of his rope, end of her rope, we're going to beg for a savior for failures. So I'm going to appeal to your prefrontal cortex. Why not do that first? Let's ask Jesus for power through the Holy Spirit and our inner being so that we can begin to grasp the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for, for you, for yourself, for God, and for others. And not just any love, not a buffing up of your love, but a God-sourced love. People will notice. Okay? I don't want to get back to the golden rule, but before we do, this is probably a good spot for another word from our sponsors. I will see you in a short moment. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hey, welcome back. All right, the golden rule. Basically, it says that you should really, really, really want to do to others what you want them to really do to you. That sounds great, and it's true. So I want people to treat me with honor all the time. I want people to like me as I am. I want what's due me. I don't want to be treated with racism or sexism. I want people to forgive me when, when I mess up. I don't want people to look down at me or criticize me or keep me out of the joke or, or you know, look at me funny. I don't want people to objectify me or my family or use me or leverage me, right? But I don't do those things enough to other people, to all people. I've, I've got some that I do it to, I'm, I'm better at than others, but, you know, my overall record isn't, isn't Jesus. I want justice. I want people to pay for what they take or what they say. But you know what? I want mercy and grace for me. You too? So this rule, which so many have characterized as the summation of Christianity and Judaism, it's a, it's a low bar, but no one's ever reached it other than Jesus. We know one. The real bar, the eye-squinting one, is to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul all the time, and to love others the same, and to love myself the same. Yeah, there's something in my brain that is preventing me from doing that. And not a single day has passed that I've done all the, of those things enough. 
even on good days. So let me be clear. If, if you pulled off the golden rule ever, (laughs) you still fall short. Jesus still had to die for all of your shortcomings to date. And then the next day when you don't pull off the golden rule. Are you with me? So now can we see the wide path that Jesus is talking about? The, the, the wide gate? The wide gate is, is not unbelieving, as we're so often told. He's not, I don't think he's talking about salvation. I don't think he's... I don't think that's the point that he's saying to these poor people on the hillside. They wouldn't have thought that. It's the well-meaning, blind-spotted arrogance of the so many saved Jesus followers who are desperately trying to do righteousness from their own empty wells now. It's those people who say, Jesus, I've got this. They're trying to do Jesus Christ without dependence upon him or his spirit. The narrow gate then would be for those Christians, those Jesus followers who've come to see that they need ongoing power in order to love and be loved. Is that making sense? Push back. Look, this has got to be a head trip. You've never heard this before. Bill at gospel-app.com. Let me know what you're thinking. Go ahead, push back. I'm okay with that. Um, Yeah, I think we've misread this. Right? So verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. But those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So destruction and life, I'm going to suggest, are the experience that we Christians feel. Uh, The embarrassment we feel as possible disappointments to God, all the times we've screwed up. It It can lead me to deny my faith. I mean, I'm still saved. Jesus says so. But I can feel miserable as Christians. There's nothing worse than a miserable Christian, a shame-ridden Christian. So I'm going to suggest that the narrow gate is not salvation per se. It's for, it's for true disciples of Jesus, spirit-filled, who, uh, who realize they can't do righteousness, love God, love others, and love themselves without Jesus. And the irony We have to kind of die over and over, but the narrow path of dependence, it leads to life. Are you with me? And again, I don't think it's salvation, but an experience of the present power, the present value of the blood of Christ. It's a a present experience through the Holy Spirit of the favor of God that Jesus purchased for me. Experiencing a little of the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for us today, a little or a lot. And needing God's source power to overcome the critical inner spirit in my midbrain. Look, here's John Calvin, paraphrase that I've done recently. I hope to do an entire series or book on this sometime. But anyway, here's, here's a paraphrase of Calvin. To summarize, he says, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually binds us to himself all of the time, not just positionally, The Spirit's role is to cause us to enjoy the benefits of what Jesus accomplished even today. So what can we say about the Holy Spirit? He is constantly busy subduing and destroying our many and varied lusts, our gotta-have-nows, while at the same time inflaming our heart with the love of God and, and the motivation to want to do loving things towards God. And so he rightly receives the name fire. Have you heard that? This is active dependence upon the work of the Holy Spirit, and our role is to ask. It's two paths, and both for saved, heaven-bound Christians. And you can hear Jesus' words, 
Accept the guilt and shame. Suck it up. Gird your loins. Work harder. Good on you and good luck. And keep this podcast ready because you're going to need it when you crash and burn. No, no judgment for me. Been there, done that. Or you can say, Jesus, I need help. Make me love. Make me be loved. That's a whole different path. And are you picking up the flow of this, this line of thinking throughout the Sermon on the Mount? We should be loving God and others. We should be experiencing God's love for ourselves, but we don't. There's something in my brain that's preventing me. And it's me, by the way. It's, it's not all my fault, and yet, yeah, it is me. So I can try working harder. That's my go-to. I can try to do more Torah, more, better, enough, whatever that looks like. Or I can look up by faith into the eyes of Jesus who loves me, stop my flailing, and then depend upon him more. And that's what faith is. Faith, by the way, is also God-sourced. It's a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You can't just believe more, <laughs> right? What does that even mean? But I can ask the Spirit to give me more of, of the fruit of faith. And, and you know, partly, look, back to an earlier podcast, that is what we said was the storing up wealth of the heavenly kingdom. That's pursuing the kingdom and God's righteousness. Remember that podcast. That's what it means to follow Jesus. All right, uh, we're headed towards the final anchor of the Sermon on the Mount. Over a year, we're almost at the last parable, a parable of the two houses, one on sand and one on rock. Look, we've screwed this one up so much, but I, I think you're, you're beginning to see where I'm headed on this one, right? Uh, please pass that on. Uh, I love preaching on that passage. Um, if you want me to come to your church, let me know. Uh, Bill at gospel-app.com. So where are we going after the Sermon on the Mount series? Well, I'm going to do a mini-series. On February the 12th, it'll be a three-podcast series that looks at love and romance uh, from the Christian point of view. And I'm calling it, What's Love Got to Do With It? Valentine's Day is on the 14th. The podcast will start on the evening of the 12th. And we're going to look at love from some unusual points of view. Have you ever wondered how love happens in your brain? I mean, you look at someone, you feel that amazing something, you become stupid, you know what I mean? No judgment. You become OCD. You can't stop thinking about him or her. Your heart rate rises. Well, what's going on? Uh, all of that is gifts from God. That's how he created you. And we'll tell you what, what happens in your brain. And then we're going to look at the history of love. It's interesting what the ancients thought about it. The Greeks and the Romans. Did you know that the Romans were actually afraid of love? Yeah. It is a funny story. Um, and lastly, we're going to zero in on God's love. Boy, we have messed this one up. Have you heard that God's love is agape or agape is God's love? Eros, well, you know, that's, uh, you know. Uh, is, is that right? I think we've messed that one up. Um, I think you'll be surprised. So that's February 12th, 19th, and 26th. Please pass the word on. Uh, and don't forget our online journeys at our website, gospel-app.com. There's the forgiving path. There's the dance for those who are struggling in your relationship with God. There's Good Enough Parent. It's, and the Good Enough Parent is free. 15 tips sent to parents, one a day for 15 days. Just just register. Uh, great feedback. Before we go, uh, Lent is coming up right after that. Your small group may be wondering what study guide to use to prepare for Easter May I strongly recommend one of our most popular engaged series, The Journey. 
I think your group will be thrilled with the approach we're taking. Um, the Easter message. Check it out at gospel-app.com forward slash engage. It's called The Journey. I'm also finishing up or in the middle of a project of a quest adventure book for young teens, junior high age, 10 to 14. It's a thinly veiled gospel presentation for tweens. Everything we've been talking about uh, on this podcast, put in a fun adventure allegory, a modern attempt, a reminiscent of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking for some youth specialists or youth ministry specialists or influencers who uh, would be willing to come alongside of me in this project. Contact me, bill at gospel-app.com. Um, I think this project is really worthy of a lot of time and effort. I am concerned about teens and tweens today, and I'm sure you are as well. Thanks again to Life Audio for their support of this podcast. Check out other podcasts at their website, lifeaudio.com. See you at the next podcast. Take heart, child of God. Hello, I'm Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we are the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. What we believe is that addiction is not a surprise to God. That's right. We discuss addiction from a biblical worldview and how true freedom comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Absolute freedom from addiction. The secular worldview of once an addict, always an addict is just not true. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, subscribe to Life After Addiction at lifeaudio.com.